Good evening. Welcome to the Just Sleep Podcast. I'm Tasha, your host. Every week, I will read you an old story to help you relax, put the stressful day behind you, and drift off to sleep. Occasionally, we will run ads in order to cover the costs of the production of the podcast. Rest assured, there will be no ads during or after the story. If you prefer an ad-free and intro-free show, you can join Just Sleep Premium. Visit justsleeppodcast.com slash support for more information. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort. So you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Tonight, I will be reading A Strange Disappearance by Anna Catherine Green. So lie down, close your eyes, and let me read you a story. Chapter 1. A Novel Case 
Talking of sudden disappearances, the one you mention of Hannah in that Leavenworth case of ours, is not the only remarkable one which has come under my direct notice. Indeed, I know of another that in some respects, at least, surpasses that in points of interest. And if you will promise not to inquire into the real names of the parties concerned, as the affair is a secret, I will relate you my experience regarding it. The speaker was Q, the rising young detective, universally acknowledged by us of the force as the most astute man for mysterious and unprecedented cases then in the Bureau, always and of course excepting Mr. Grice. And such a statement from him could not but arouse our deepest curiosity. Drawing up then to the stove around which we were sitting, in lazy enjoyment of one of those off hours so dear to a detective's heart, we gave with alacrity the required promise, and settling himself back with the satisfied air of a man who has a good story to tell, that does not entirely lack certain points redounding to his own credit, he began. I was one Sunday morning loitering at the precinct station, when the door opened and a respectable-looking middle-aged woman came in, whose agitated air at once attracted my attention. Going up to her, I asked her what she wanted. A detective, she replied, glancing cautiously about on the faces of the various men scattered through the room. I don't wish anything said about it, but a girl disappeared from our house last night, and she stopped here, her emotion seeming to choke her, and I want someone to look her up. She went on at last with the most intense emphasis. A girl? What kind of a girl? And what house do you mean when you say our house? She looked at me keenly before replying. You are a young man, said she. Isn't there someone here more responsible than yourself that I can talk to? I shrugged my shoulders and beckoned to Mr. Grice, who was just then passing. She at once seemed to put confidence in him. Drawing him aside, she whispered a few low, eager words which I could not hear. He listened for a moment, but suddenly made a move which I knew indicated strong and surprised interest. I was about to walk off, convinced he had got hold of something he would prefer to manage himself, when the superintendent came in. Where's Grice? asked he. Tell him I want him. Mr. Grice heard him and hastened forward. As he passed me, he whispered, Take a man and go with this woman. Look into matters and send me word if you want me. I will be here for two hours. I did not need a second permission. Beckoning to Harris, I reapproached the woman. Where do you come from? said I. I am to go back with you and investigate the matter, it seems. Did he say so? she asked, pointing to Mr. Grice, who now stood with his back to us, busily talking with the superintendent. I nodded, and she at once moved towards the door. I come from number 2nd Avenue, Mr. Blake's house, she whispered, uttering a name so well known, I at once understood Mr. Grice's sudden movement of interest. A girl, one who sewed for us, disappeared last night in a way to alarm us very much. She was taken from her room. Yes, she cried vehemently seeing my look of sarcastic incredulity, taken from her room. She never went out of her own accord, 
and she must be found if I spend every dollar of the pittance I have laid up in the bank against my old age. Her manner was so intense, her tone so marked, and her words so vehement, I at once and naturally asked if the girl was a relative of hers that she felt her abduction so keenly. No, she replied, not a relative, but, she went on, looking every way but in my face, a very dear friend, a protégé, I think they call it, of mine. She must be found, she again reiterated. We were by this time in the street. Nothing must be said about it, she now whispered, catching me by the arm. I told him so, nodding back to the building from which we had just issued, and he promised secrecy. It can be done without folks knowing anything about it, can't it? What? I asked. Finding the girl. Well, said I, we can tell you better about that when we know a few more of the facts. What is the girl's name, and what makes you think she didn't go out of the house door of her own accord? Why, why everything? She wasn't the person to do it. Then the looks of her room, and... They all got out of the window, she cried suddenly, and went away by the side gate into the street. They? Who do you mean by they? Why, whoever they were who carried her off. I could not suppress the bar that rose in my lips. Mr. Grice might have been able to, but I am not Grice. You don't believe, said she, that she was carried off? Well, no, said I, not in the sense you mean. She gave another nod back to the police station now a block or so distant. He didn't seem to doubt it at all. I laughed. Did you tell him you thought she'd been taken off in this way? Yes, and he said, very likely. And well he might, for I heard the men talking in her room and... You heard men talking in her room? When? Oh, it must have been as late as half past twelve. I had been asleep, and the noise they made whispering woke me. Wait, I said. Tell me where her room is, hers and yours. Hers is the third story back, mine the front one on the same door. Who are you? I now inquired. What position do you occupy in Mr. Blake's house? I am the housekeeper. Mr. Blake was a bachelor. And you were wakened last night by hearing whispering which seemed to come from this girl's room. Yes. I at first thought it was the folks next door. We often hear them when they are unusually noisy. But soon, I became assured it came from her room, and more astonished than I could say. She's a good girl, she broke in, suddenly looking at me with hotly indignant eyes. As good a girl as this whole city can show, don't you dare, any of you, to hint at anything else. Come, come, I said soothingly, a little ashamed of my too communicative face. I haven't said anything. We will take it for granted she is as good as gold. Go on. The woman wiped her forehead with a hand that trembled like a leaf. Where was I? She said she. Oh, I heard voices and was surprised and got up and went to her door. The noise I made unlocking my own must have startled her, for all was perfectly quiet when I got there. I waited a moment, then I turned the knob and called her. She did not reply, and I called again. Then she came to the door, but did not unlock it. What is it, she asked. Oh, said I. I thought I heard talking here, and I was frightened. It must have been next door, said she. 
I begged pardon and went back to my room. There was no more noise, but when in the morning we broke into her room and found her gone, the window open, and signs of distress and struggle around, I knew I had been mistaken, that there were men with her when I went to her door, and that they had carried her off. This time I could not restrain myself. Did they drop her out of the window? I inquired. Oh, said she, we are building an extension, and there is a ladder running up to the third floor, and it was by means of that they took her. Indeed, she seems at least to have been a willing victim, I remarked. The woman clutched my arm with a grip like iron. Don't you believe it, gasped she, stopping me in the street where we were. I tell you if what I say is true, and these burglars or whatever they were, did carry her off. It was an agony to her, an awful, awful thing that will kill her if it has not done so already. You don't know what you're talking about. You never saw her. Was she pretty? I asked, hurrying the woman along, for more than one passerby had turned their heads to look at us. The question seemed, in some way, to give her a shock. Oh, I don't know, she muttered. Some might think so. I always did. It depended upon the way you looked at her. For the first time, I felt a thrill of anticipation shoot through my veins. Why, I could not say. Her tone was peculiar, and she spoke in a sort of brooding way, as though she were weighing something in her own mind. But then her manner had been peculiar throughout. Whatever it was that aroused my suspicion, I determined henceforth to keep a very sharp eye upon her ladyship. Leveling a straight glance at her face, I asked her how it was that she came to be the one to inform the authorities of the girl's disappearance. Doesn't Mr. Blake know anything about it? The faintest shadow of a change came into her manner. Yes, said she. I told him at breakfast time, but Mr. Blake doesn't take much interest in his servants. He leaves all such matters to me. Then does he not know you've come for the police? No, sir, and if you would be so good as to keep it from him. It is not necessary. He should know. I shall let you in the back way. Mr. Blake is a man who never meddles with anything, and... What did Mr. Blake say this morning when you told him that this girl... By the way, what is her name? Emily. That this girl Emily had disappeared during the night. Not much of anything, sir. He was sitting at the breakfast table, reading his newspaper. He merely looked up, frowned a little in an absent-minded way, and told me I must manage the servant's affairs without troubling him. And you let it drop? Yes, sir. Mr. Blake is not a man to speak twice to. I could easily believe that from what I had seen of him in public, for though by no means a harsh-looking man, he had a reserved air, which, if maintained in private, must have made him very difficult of approach. We were now within half a block or so of the old-fashioned mansion, regarded by the sign of New York's aristocracy as one of the most desirable residences in the city. So motioning to the man who had accompanied me to take his stand in a doorway nearby and watch for the signal I would give him in case I wanted Mr. Grice, I turned to the woman, who was now all in a flutter, and asked her how she proposed to get me into the house without the knowledge of Mr. Blake. Oh, sir, all you have got to do is to follow me right up the back stairs. He won't notice, or if he does, will not ask any questions. 
and having by this time reached the basement door, she took out a key from her pocket, and inserting it in the lock, at once admitted us into the dwelling. Chapter 2 A Few Points Mrs. Daniels, for that was her name, took me at once upstairs to the third-story back room. As we passed through the halls, I could not but notice how rich, though somber, were the old-fashioned walls and heavily frescoed ceilings, so different in style and colouring from what we see nowadays in our secret penetrations into Fifth Avenue mansions. Many as are the wealthy houses I have been called upon to enter in the line of my profession, I had never crossed the threshold of such one as this before, and impervious as I am to any foolish sentimentalities, I felt a certain degree of awe at the thought of invading with police investigation this home of ancient Knickerbocker respectability. But once in the room of the missing girl, every consideration fled, save that of professional pride and curiosity. For almost at first blush, I saw that whether Mrs. Daniels was correct or not in her surmises as to the manner of the girl's disappearance, the fact that she had disappeared was likely to prove an affair of some importance. For, let me state the facts in the order in which I noticed them. The first thing that impressed me was that whatever Mrs. Daniels called her, this was no sewing girl's room into which I now stepped. Plain as was the furniture in comparison with the elaborate richness of the walls and ceiling, there were still scattered through the room, which was large, even for a thirty-foot house, articles of sufficient elegance to make the supposition that it was the abode of an ordinary seamstress, open to suspicion, if no more. Mrs. Daniels, seeing my look of surprise, hastened to provide some explanation. It is a room which has always been devoted to sewing, said she, and when Emily came, I thought it would be easier to put a bed here than to send her upstairs. She was a very nice girl and disarranged nothing. I glanced around on the writing case, lying open on a small table in the centre of the room, on the vase half full of partly withered roses on the mantelpiece, the Shakespeare and the Macaulay's history lying on the stand at my right, thought my own thoughts, but said nothing. You found the door locked this morning, asked I, after a moment's scrutiny of the room, in which three facts had become manifest. First, that the girl had not occupied the bed the night before. Second, that there had been some sort of struggle or surprise, one of the curtains being violently torn, as if grasped by an agitated hand, to say nothing of a chair lying upset on the floor with one of its legs broken. Third, that the departure, strange as it may seem, had been by the window. Yes, returned she, but there is a passageway leading from my room to hers, and it was by that means we entered. There was a chair placed against the door on this side, but we easily pushed it away. I stepped to the window and looked out. Ah, uh, it would not be so very difficult for a man to gain the street from that spot in a dark night, for the roof of a newly erected extension was almost on a level with the window. Well, said she anxiously, couldn't she have gotten out that way? More difficult things have been done, said I, and was about to step out upon the roof when I bethought to inquire of Mrs. Daniels 
if any of the girl's clothing was missing. She immediately flew to the closets and thence to the bureau drawers, which she turned hastily over. No, nothing is missing but a hat and cloak and... She paused confusedly. And what? I asked. Nothing, returned she, hurriedly closing the drawer. Only some little knick-knacks. Knick-knacks, quoth I. If she stopped for knick-knacks, she couldn't have gone in a very unwilling frame of mind. And somewhat disgusted, I was about to throw up the whole affair and leave the room. But the indecision in Mrs. Daniel's own face deterred me. I don't understand it, murmured she, drawing her hand across her eyes. I don't understand it, but she went on with even an increase in her old tone of heartfelt conviction. No matter whether we understand it or not, the case is serious. I tell you so, and she must be found. I resolved to know the nature of that must, as few women in her position would use it, even under circumstances to all appearance more aggravated than these. Why must, said I, if the girl went of her own accord, as some things seemed to show, why should you, no relative as you acknowledge, take the matter so to heart as to insist she shall be followed and brought back? She turned away, uneasily taking up and putting down some little matters on the table before her. Is it not enough that I promise to pay for all expenses which a search will occasion, without my being forced to declare just why I should be willing to do so? Am I bound to tell you I love the girl, that I believe she has been taken away by foul means, and that, to her great suffering and distress, that being fond of her and believing this, I am conscientious enough to put every means I possess at the command of those who will recover her? I was not satisfied with this, but on that very account felt my enthusiasm revive. But Mr. Blake, surely he is the one to take this interest, if anybody. I have before said, returned she, paling however she spoke, that Mr. Blake takes very little interest in his servants. I cast another glance about the room. How long have you been in this house? asked I. I was in the service of Mr. Blake's father, and he died a year ago. Since when you've remained with Mr. Blake himself? Yes, sir. And this Emily, when did she come here? Oh, it must be eleven months or so ago. An Irish girl? Oh, no, American. She's not a common person, sir. What do you mean by that? That she was educated? Ladylike? Pretty? Or what? I don't know what to say. She was educated, yes, but not as you would call a lady educated. Yet she knew a great many things the rest of us didn't. She liked to read, you see, and... Oh, sir, ask the girls about her. I never know what to say when I am questioned. I scanned the grey-haired woman still more intently than I had yet done. Was she the weak, commonplace creature she seemed? Or had she really some cause other than appeared for these numerous breaks and hesitations? Where did you get this girl, I inquired. Where did she live before coming here? I cannot say. I never asked her to talk about herself. She came to work, and I liked her, and took her without recommendation. And she has served you well? Excellently. Been out much? Had any visitors? She shook her head. Never went out, and never had any visitors. I own I was nonplussed. Well, said I, no more of this at present. 
I must first find out if she left this house alone or in company with others. And without further parley, I stepped out upon the roof of the extension. As I did so, I debated with myself whether the case warranted me or not in sending for Mr. Grice. As yet, there was nothing to show that the girl had come to any harm. A mere elopement, with or without a lover to help her, was not such a serious matter that the whole police force need be stirred up on the subject. And if the woman had money, as she said, ready to give the man who should discover the whereabouts of this girl, why need that money be divided up any more than was necessary? Yet Grice was not one to be dallied with. He had said, send for him if the affair seemed to call for his judgment, and somehow the affair did promise to be a trifle complicated. I was yet undetermined when I reached the edge of the roof. It was a dizzy descent, but once made, escape from the yard beneath would be easy. A man could take that road without difficulty, but a woman? Baffled at the idea, I turned thoughtfully back when I beheld something on the roof before me that caused me to pause and ask myself if this was going to turn out to be a tragedy after all. It was a drop of congealed blood. Further on towards the window was another, and yes, further still, another and another. I even found one upon the very window ledge itself. Bounding into the room, I searched the carpet for further traces. It was the worst one in the world to find anything upon of that nature of which I was seeking, being a confused pattern of mingled drab and red, and in my difficulty I had to stoop very low. What are you looking for? cried Mrs. Daniels. I pointed to the drop in the windowsill. Do you see that? I asked. She uttered an exclamation and bent nearer. Blood, cried she, and stood staring with rapidly paling cheeks and trembling form. They have killed her and he will never... As she did not finish, I looked up. Do you think it is her blood? She whispered in a horrified tone. There is every reason to believe so, rejoined I, pointing to a spot where I had at last discovered not only one crimson drop, but many, scattered over the scarcely redder roses under my feet. Ah, it is worse than I thought, murmured she. What are you going to do? What can we do? I'm going to send for another detective, returned I, and stepping to the window, I telegraphed at once to the man, Harris, to go for Mr. Grice. The one we saw at the station? I bowed assent. Her face lost something of its drawn expression. I am glad. He will do something. Subduing my indignation at this backthrust, I employed my time in taking note of such details as had escaped my previous attention. There were not many. The open writing desk, in which, however, I found no letters or written documents of any kind, only a few sheets of paper with pen, ink, etc. The brush and hairpins scattered on the bureau, as though the girl had been interrupted while arranging her hair, if she had been interrupted and the absence of any great pile of work such as one would expect to see in a room set apart for sewing were all I could discover. Not much to help us, in case this was to prove an affair of importance, as I began to suspect. With Mr. Grice's arrival, however, things soon assumed a better shape. He came to the basement door, was ushered in by your humble servant, had the whole matter, as far as I had investigated it, at his finger ends in a moment, and was upstairs and in that room before I, 
who am called the quickest man in the force, as you all know, could have time to determine just what difference his presence would make to me in a pecuniary way, in event of Mrs. Daniel's promises amounting to anything. He did not remain there long, but when he came down I saw that his interest was in no way lessened. What kind of a looking girl was this? he asked, hurrying up to Mrs. Daniels, who had withdrawn into a recess in the lower hall while all this was going on. Describe her to me, hair, eyes, complexion, you know. I don't know as I can, she stammered reluctantly, turning very red in the face. I am a poor one for noticing. I will call one of the girls. She was gone before we realized she had not finished her sentence. Hmm, broke from Mr. Grice's lips, as he thoughtfully took out a vase that stood on a bracket nearby and looked into it. I did not venture a word. When Mrs. Daniels came back, she had with her a trim girl of prepossessing appearance. This is Fanny, said she. She knows Emily well, being in the habit of waiting on her at table. She will tell you what you want to hear. I've explained to her, she went on, nodding towards Mr. Grice with a composure such as she had not before displayed, that you are looking for your niece who ran away from home some time ago to go into some sort of service. Certainly, ma'am, quoth that gentleman, bowing with mock admiration to the gas fixture, then carelessly shifting his glance to the cleaning cloth which Fanny held rather conspicuously in her hand. He repeated the question he had already put to Mrs. Daniels. The girl, tossing her head just a trifle, at once replied, Oh, she was good-looking enough. That is what you mean. For them as likes a girl with cheeks as white as this cloth was, before I rubbed the spoons with it. As for her eyes, they was blacker than her hair, which was the blackest I ever saw. She had no flesh at all. And as for her figure, Fanny glanced down on her own well-developed person and gave a shrug, inexpressively suggestive. Is this description true? Mr. Grice asked, seemingly of Mrs. Daniels, though his gaze rested with curious intentness on the girl's head which was covered with a little cap. Sufficiently so returned Mrs. Daniels in a very low tone, however. Then with a sudden display of energy, Emily's figure is not what you would call plump. I have seen her. She broke off as if a little startled at herself and motioned Fanny to go. Wait a moment, interposed Mr. Grice in his soft way. You said the girl's hair and eyes were dark. Were they darker than yours? Oh, yes, sir, replied the girl simpering as she settled the ribbons on her cap. Let me see your hair. She took off her cap with a smile. Ah, very pretty. And the other girls? You have other girls, I suppose? Two, sir, returned Mrs. Daniels. How about their complexions? Are they lighter too than Emily's? Yes, sir, about like Fanny's. Mr. Grice spread his hand over his breast in a way that assured me of his satisfaction and allowed the girl to go. We will now proceed to the yard, said he. But at that moment, the door of the front room opened, and a gentleman stepped leisurely into the hall, whom at first glance I recognized as the master of the house. He was dressed for the street and had his hat in his hand. At the sight we all stood silent, Mrs. Daniels flushing up to the roots of her grey hair. Mr. Blake is an elegant-looking man, as perhaps you know, proud, reserved, and a trifle sombre. As he turned to come towards us, the light shining through the windows at our right fell full upon his face 
revealing such a self-absorbed and melancholy expression, I involuntarily drew back, as if I had unwittingly intruded upon a great man's privacy. Mr. Grice, on the contrary, stepped forward. Mr. Blake, I believe, said he, bowing in that deferential way he knows so well how to assume. The gentleman, startled as it evidently seemed from a reverie, looked hastily up. Meeting Mr. Grice's bland smile, he returned the bow, but haughtily, and, as it appeared, in an abstracted way. Allow me to introduce myself, proceeded my superior. I'm Mr. Grice from the Detective Bureau. We were notified this morning that a girl in your employ had disappeared from your house last night in a somewhat strange and unusual way, and I just stepped over with my man here to see if the matter is of sufficient importance to inquire into. With many apologies for the intrusion, I stand obedient to your orders. With a frown expressive of annoyance, Mr. Blake glanced around, and detecting Mrs. Daniels said, Did you consider the affair so serious as that? She nodded, seeming to find it difficult to speak. He remained looking at her with an expression of some doubt. I can hardly think, said he, such extreme measures were necessary. The girl will doubtless come back, or if not. His shoulders gave a slight shrug, and he took out his gloves. The difficulty seems to be, quoth Mr. Grice, eyeing those gloves with his most intent and concentrated look, that the girl did not go alone, but was helped away, or forced away, by parties who had previously broken into your house. That is a strange circumstance, remarked Mr. Blake, but still without any appearance of interest. And if you are sure of what you say, demands, perhaps, some inquiry. I would not wish to put anything in the way of justice succoring the injured. But, again, he gave that slight shrug of the shoulders, indicative of doubt, if not indifference. Mrs. Daniels trembled and took a step forward. I thought she was going to speak, but instead of that she drew back again in her strange, hesitating way. Mr. Grice did not seem to notice. Perhaps, sir, said he, if you will step upstairs with me to the room occupied by this girl, I may be able to show you certain evidences which convince you that our errand here is not one of presumption. I am ready to concede that without troubling myself with proof, observed the master of the house with the faintest show of asperity. Yet if there is anything to see of startling nature, perhaps I had best yield to your wishes. Whereabouts in the house is this girl's room, Mrs. Daniels? It is, I gave her the third story back, Mr. Blake, replied that woman, nervously eyeing his face. It was large and light for sewing, when she was so nice. He impatiently waved his hand, on which he had by this time fitted his glove to a nicety, as if these details were an unnecessary bore to him, and motioned to her to show the way. Instantly a new feeling appeared to seize her, that of alarm. I hardly think you need trouble, Mr. Blake, to go upstairs, she murmured turning towards Mr. Grice. I'm sure when you tell him the curtains were torn and the chair upset, the window open. But Mr. Grice was already on the stairs with Mr. Blake, whom this small opposition seemed to have at once determined. Oh my God, she murmured to herself, who could have foreseen this? And ignoring my presence with all the egotism of extreme agitation, she hurried past me to the room above, where I speedily joined her. Chapter 3. 
the contents of a bureau drawer. Mr. Blake was standing in the center of the room when I entered, carelessly following with his eyes the motion of Mr. Grice's finger, as that gentleman pointed with unwearying assiduity to the various little details that had struck us. His hat was still in his hand, and he presented a very formidable and imposing appearance, or so Mrs. Daniels appeared to think, as she stood watching him from the corner, whither she had withdrawn herself. A forcible departure, you see, exclaimed Mr. Grice. She had not even time to gather up her clothes, and with a sudden movement he stooped and pulled out one of the drawers before the eyes of his nonchalant listener. Immediately a smothered exclamation struck our ears, and Mrs. Daniels started forward. I pray, gentlemen, she entreated, advancing in such a way as to place herself against the front of the bureau, in a manner to preclude the opening of any more drawers, that you will remember that a modest woman, such as this girl was, would hardly like to have her clothing displayed before the eyes of strangers. Mr. Grice instantly closed the drawer. You're right, said he. Pardon the rough ways of a somewhat hardened officer of the law. She drew up closer to the bureau, still protecting it with her meagre but energetic form, while her eyes rested with almost a savage expression upon the master of the house, as if he, and not the detective, had been the aggressor whose advances she feared. Mr. Blake did not return the look. If that is all you can show me, I think I will proceed to my appointment, said he. The matter does seem to be more serious than I thought, and if you judge it necessary to take any active measures, why, let no consideration of my great and inherent dislike to notoriety of any kind interfere with what you consider your duty. As for the house, it is at your command under Mrs. Daniel's direction. Good morning. And returning our bows with one singularly impressive for all its elegant carelessness, he at once withdrew. Mrs. Daniels took one long, deep breath and came from the bureau. Instantly, Mr. Grice stooped and pulled out the drawer she had so visibly protected. A white towel met our eyes, spread neatly out at its full length. Lifting it, we looked underneath. A carefully folded dress of dark blue silk, to all appearance elegantly made, confronted our rather eager eyes. Beside it, a collar of exquisite lace. I know enough of such matters to be a judge. Pricked through by a gold breast pin of a strange and unique pattern. A withered bunch of what appeared to have been a bouquet of red roses surmounted the whole, giving to the otherwise commonplace collection the appearance of a relic from the tomb. We both drew back in some amazement, involuntarily glancing up at Mrs. Daniels. I have no explanation to give, said that woman with a calmness strangely in contrast to the agitation she had displayed while Mr. Blake had remained in the room. That those things, rich as they are, really belong to the girl, I have no doubt. She brought them when she came, and they only confirm what I have before intimated, that she was no ordinary sewing girl, but a woman who had seen better days. With a low humph and another glance at the dark blue dress and delicate collar, Mr. Grice carefully replaced the cloth he had taken from them and softly closed the drawer without either of us having laid a finger upon a single article. Five minutes later, he disappeared from the room. I did not see him again till occasion took me below when I beheld him softly issue from Mr. Blake's private apartment. Meeting me, he smiled 
and I knew that whether he was conscious of betraying it or not, he had come upon some clue, or at least fashioned for himself some theory with which he was more or less satisfied. An elegant apartment, that, whispered he, nodding sideways toward the room he had just left. Pity you haven't time to examine it. Are you sure that I haven't? returned I, drawing a step nearer to escape the eyes of Mrs. Daniels, who had descended after me. Quite sure, and we hastened down together into the yard. But my curiosity once aroused in this way would not let me rest. Taking an opportunity when Mr. Grice was engaged in banter with the girls below, and in this way learning more in a minute of what he wanted to know than some men would gather in an hour by that or any other method, I stole lightly back and entered this room. I almost started in my surprise. Instead of the luxurious apartment I had prepared myself to behold, a plain, scantily furnished room opened before me of a nature between a library and a studio. There was not even a carpet on the polished floor, only a rug, which, strange to say, was not placed in the centre of the room or even before the fireplace, but on one side and directly in front of a picture that almost at first blush had attracted my attention as being the only article in the room worth looking at. It was the portrait of a woman, handsome, haughty and alluring, a modern beauty, with eyes of fire burning beneath high piled locks of jetty blackness that were only relieved from being too intense by the scarlet hood of an opera cloak that was drawn over them. A sister, I thought to myself, it is too modern for his mother, and I took a step nearer to see if I could trace any likeness in the chiseled features of this disdainful brunette to the more characteristic ones of the careless gentleman who had stood but a few moments before in my presence. As I did so, I was struck with the distance with which the picture stood out from the wall, and thought to myself that the awkwardness of the framing came near marring the beauty of this otherwise lovely work of art. As for the likeness I was in search of, I found it, or thought I did, in the expression of the eyes which were of the same colour as Mr. Blake's, but more full and passionate. And satisfied that I had exhausted all the picture could tell me, I turned to make what other observations I could, when I was startled by confronting the agitated countenance of Mrs. Daniels, who had entered behind me. This is Mr. Blake's room, she said with dignity. No one ever enters here but myself not even the servants. I beg pardon, said I, glancing around in vain for something which had awakened that look of satisfaction in Mr. Grice's eyes. I was attracted by the beauty of this picture visible through the half-open door and stepped in to favour myself with a nearer view. It is very lovely. A sister of Mr. Blake? No, his cousin. And she closed the door after us with an emphasis that proclaimed she was anything but pleased. It was my last effort to obtain information on my own account. And a few minutes later, Mr. Grice appeared from below, and a conversation ensued with Mrs. Daniels that absorbed my whole attention. You are very anxious, my man here tells me, that this girl should be found, remarked Mr. Grice, so much so that you are willing to defray all the expenses of a search. She bowed. As far as I'm able, sir, I have a few hundreds at the bank. You're welcome to them. I would not keep a dollar back if I had thousands, but I am poor, and can only promise you what I possess myself, though. And her cheeks grew flushed and hot with an unnatural agitation. 
I believe that thousands would not be lacking if they were found necessary. I could almost swear you shall have anything in reason which you require. Only the girl must be found, and soon. Have you thought, proceeded Mr. Grice, utterly ignoring the wildness of these statements, that the girl may come back herself, if let alone? She will come back if she can, quoth Mrs. Daniels. Did she seem so well satisfied with her home as to warrant you in saying that? She liked her home, but she loved me, returned the woman steadily. She loved me so well she would never have gone as she did without being forced. Yes, said she, though she made no outcry and stopped to put on her bonnet and shawl. She was not a girl to make a fuss. If they had killed her outright, she would never have uttered a cry. Why do you say they? Because I am confident I heard more than one man's voice in her room. Hmm. Would you know those voices if you heard them again? No. There was a surprise in this last negative, which Mr. Grice evidently noticed. I ask, said he, because I have been told that Mr. Blake lately kept a body servant, who has been seen to look at this girl more than once when she has passed him on the stairs. Mrs. Daniel's face turned scarlet with rage, and she hastily rose from the chair. I don't believe it, said she. Henry was a man who knew his place. And I won't hear such things, she suddenly exclaimed. Emily was, was a lady, and... Well, well, interposed Mr. Grice soothingly. Though the cat looks at the king, it is no sign the king looks at the cat. We have to think of everything, you know. You must never think of anything like that. Mr. Grice softly ran his thumb around the brim of the hat he held in his hand. Mrs. Daniels, observed he, it would greatly facilitate matters if you would kindly tell us why you take such an interest in this girl. One glimpse at her real history would do more towards setting us on the right track than anything else you could offer. Her face assumed an unmistakable frown. Have I not told you, said she, what is known of it, that she came to me about two years ago for work, that I liked her, and so hired her, that she has been with us ever since, and... Then you will not tell us, exclaimed Mr. Grice. Her face fell, and a look of hesitation crossed it. I doubt if we can do anything unless you do, continued he. Her countenance settled again into a resolved expression. You are mistaken, said she. If the girl had a secret, as nearly all girls have, brought low as she has evidently been, it had nothing to do with her disappearance nor would a knowledge of it help you in any way. I am confident of this, and shall hold my peace. She was not a woman to be frightened or cajoled into making revelations she did not think necessary, and seeing it, Mr. Grice refrained from urging her further. However, you will at least tell me this, said he. What were the knick-knacks she took away with her from her bureau drawer? No, said she, but they have nothing to do with her abduction. They were articles of positive value to her, though I assure you of little importance to anyone else. All that is shown by their disappearance is the fact that she had a moment's time allowed her in which to collect what she most wanted. Mr. Grice arose. Well, said he, you have given us a hard sum to work out, but I am not the man to recoil from anything hard. If I can discover the whereabouts of this girl, I will certainly do it, but you must help me. I. How? By inserting a personal in the Herald. You say she loves you and would come back if she could. 
Now, whether you believe it or not, this is open to doubt. Therefore, I would advise that you take some such means as that to inform her of the anxiety of her friends and their desire to communicate with her. Impossible, she cried vehemently. I should be afraid. Well, I might put that Mrs. D, anxious about Emily, desires information about her whereabouts. Put it any way you like. You had better add, said I, speaking for the first time, that you would be willing to pay for information. Yes, said Mr. Grice, add that. Mrs. Daniels frowned, but made no objection, and after getting as minute a description as possible of the clothing worn by the girl the night before, we left the house. Good night. <laughs>